Welcome to the Harbour City Podcast. We are a church in the East African port city of Durban, South Africa. Get to know us better at harbourcity.co.za or at harbourcitydbn on socials. We hope you enjoy this message. I'm glad it's back on because I would have told a dad joke. Um, <laughs> yeah. So um, there's this movie called Catfight. Uh, I don't know if you guys have heard of it. But uh, Sandra Oh, who's from Grey's Anatomy, um, is the lead actress in this movie. And uh, so she's married to um, a financial uh, guru. And they have one son by the name of Kip. And um, it, it seems like they always try to um, influence him to go that route. You know, in fact, they put a lot of pressure on him to, to go that route. Uh, he has aspirations to become an artist. But um, his mom is always ridiculing his choices. Uh, it even gets to a point where um, she says, if people who are doing well in life tell you to do something, you must just do it. And she says, because that's how they got there, which is rather bizarre. But um, I wanted to highlight the fact that, you know, as people, we get presented many ways, you know, many ways are put before us. But um, it is really God's way which we must ultimately take because we cannot account for the things that will come in our lives even if we study those ways and we um, just are diligent and do everything according to plan. And so um, I want to just focus on that as the scripture says, you know. And so um, one of the attributes that we can learn from, from this passage is that God is good. Now, what does it mean to say that God is good? Now, from this passage, we can learn that God is upright, you know, and that means that he's honorable and morally excellent in a way that we cannot in our earthly state. It speaks to his incapability of being inconsistent with his virtuous character. Now, it can be easy to assume that people are good because, well, we do do good things from time to time, but um, we're not always good. You know, when no one's looking we tend to cut corners, you know, we tend to not do what we would normally otherwise do. Now, when we look at the uh, creation account, we can um, see that God uh, creates out of his goodness and he creates everything and he calls it good. Um, so, in essence, we're created by a triune God who is uncreated, who, who always was and who always will be, but he created us to share in this goodness in fact, in Psalm 34, we see God inviting us to share in this goodness. He says, come and taste and see that I am good. Now, as Jamie spoke uh, last week, if I recall correctly, it was Romans 5. Uh, he spoke about sin. Essentially, he spoke about how sin has infiltrated humankind or the human race because of Adam, one man's sin, and so everyone became affected. We see this even in young children. No one teaches them to, to steal, to, to be mean to other kids, but they just do that. And in fact, we see that in ourselves. So many times I often ask myself, how is it that I'm able to think such unhealthy things? How am I able to be so unkind at times? Now, the Bible teaches that no one is good, not even one. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And for many people, this is off-putting. In fact... They ask, how can this be? You know, how can you say no one is good? Well, many people fail to see that um, the Psalms actually teach 
using hyperbole. And um, in fact, a lot of people would ask questions like, what about Mother Teresa? Isn't she a good person? What about people who have loved people that are hard to love? Now, this speaks to us being careful, as I've mentioned, um, that we, we pay careful attention when we read scripture. We look at things like context and genre. We, we look at the style in which um, the certain book that we're reading is written um, in. And here we see that um, there's exaggeration being used. And this is to bring forth the fallenness on, of man and thus illuminating the goodness of God. Now, when the Bible talks about how all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, it is essentially saying in ourselves we are incapable of being entirely good all the time. And I think it's important to um, take into consideration that um, a lot of people think um, Christianity is like a balancing act. You've, You've got your good works on this side and you've got your bad works on this side. And so hopefully the good scale wins. But that's not the case. Now, the psalm also talks about God leading the humble. Um, Now, because of our sin, we cannot have access to God. We cannot live in fellowship with God. We are separated eternally from Him. In fact, we are dead in our sins. Now, that is the state that we are in, and that is really bad news. But God sent His Son while we're still sinners. He he had already died for us. He had already died for the weak and the helpless. Um, God had died for those who had put their hope in him um, or who would later on put their hope in him or that would realize their helplessness and their state before God. Um, Yeah, I'd like to encourage us this morning that God died so that we can have a meaningful life, a life that is satisfying, a life that is meaningful and just rich in in, um, God's ways and God's plans. Now, the goodness of God is one of the most asked things, one of the most contentious things. Um, many people question, what happened, or how does it happen that a young child could have cancer and die when a marriage comes um, to an end after a very long time? When children who are brought up in the ways of Christ certain, suddenly take um, a left turn? Or when people are being overlooked at work because of their gender or their race. Now, the ways of the Lord prove to be higher than our ways, and so are his thoughts. And this means, brothers and sisters, that we cannot comprehend the way in which God works, but we can trust that he's good all the time. It doesn't mean that God is arbitrary and does things as he pleases because he's God. But in fact, he does things for our ultimate good. Now, in the storms of life, we ought to see God, we ought to keep to his word, and we ought to keep to his decrees and regulations. Um, um, so, you, if you've read the Bible, you would have noticed that there is um, a story about Joseph, which is in the book of Genesis. Now, that is a potentially sad story, because Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. And I can't imagine how horrible that must have been. But... In all of it, you see God being at work behind um, the scenes. These are all hard things to wrestle with, you know. One of the things I I think we can take out of that story is that the plan of God cannot be thwarted by man. His goodness will ultimately lead us to draw near to him and to follow his ways. 
Many of you in this room, I presume, have had the privilege of um, just journeying with God through community as Eugene has. And um, you would have noticed that there have been many, many hard things. But in all of them, God has been there walking side by side with you. And you can attest to his goodness. To those who are inquiring and asking, is God really good? I want to bring this to you. God, God's goodness is a promise. In fact, God is good to us all the time. In many African churches, um, there's this thing that goes back and forth. A speaker or a pastor would say, God is good. And then the people would say, all the time. And then all the time, God is good. I'm sure some of you are familiar with that. But it is true. God is good all the time. Now, the psalmist also talks about God leading the humble. You know, And the humble sinner is the one who comes before God, acknowledging that God is God and that he isn't. The one who realizes that he has sinned against a holy a holy God, and that that sin makes him enemies with God, but not only God, with um, his man. This person who seeks for God is not the one who, who comes to God to gain or to receive something out of um, perhaps like just monetary things or things of that sort, but he comes to God because he, he enjoys him. He wants to find his identity in him. Ladies and gentlemen, sin is not just what we do morally. Um, it's not a matter of lying or stealing or tax evasion, but it's really a rebellion against a God who loves us and who created us uh, to be in relationship with him. It is something deeply ingrained within us because of the fall. Now, God delights in the one who knows that uh, apart from him, they cannot do anything. Now, um, G.K. Chesterton, a British journalist, once responded to an article titled, What is Wrong with the World? He wrote, Dear Sir, I am. And then he concluded. Now, this might seem too brief of a, an answer, but essentially, uh, Mr. Chesterton realized that within who he is, is that he's a sinner. Deeply within himself, he acknowledges that he's a sinner. Now, sin doesn't only just make us enemies with God, but actually creates dysfunction between people. Um, there's family breakdown. Um, um, there's brokenness and, and many things that stem out of that. And this is why the world we live in is broken. Now, Jesus, born of a virgin, came as the promised Messiah to reconcile us back to God and to, to create peace within us, um, amongst us, but also, more importantly, with God. Now, Jesus died for all people. And in John, he says he is the way, the truth, and the life. And I like the further great I am's that we find in the book of John. Jesus talks about himself being the bread of life. He talks about himself being living water. And so for that, we get that he sustains us and he nourishes us. But also he talks about himself being the door and the gate. So he is the one we should enter through. He also talks about... Oh, also, I thought it was important to mention that, um, you know, he invites us and he welcomes us in. It also speaks about him being the good shepherd, the one who leads us. Um, and in case you haven't noticed um, from just Psalm 23 being preached, sheep need a shepherd because they cannot find their way. And we are like sheep without a shepherd if we're not in God. It also talks about him being the vine and that apart from him, we cannot do anything. 
And also he talks about himself being the resurrection and the life, the one who defeats the last enemy, which is death. And so I'd like to bring to you that whatever happens right now, because God is victorious, we will be alongside him if we have placed our hope in him. Now, who is the person that fears the Lord as the Psalm asks? Now, fear is a negative emotion, as most of us would agree. And the general definition is that it's an unpleasant and often strong emotion caused by anticipation or an, uh, an awareness of, of, of danger. But I'd like us to look at a different uh, definition from uh, Merriam-Webster. It goes as follows. Uh, fear is a profound reverence and awe, especially towards God. And this is the definition I'd like us to work from. We, mu we must recognize that God is forgiving and loving and merciful. And in addition to that, he is holy, just and righteous. God wants us to fear him because he has good things for us. Now, knowing God and understanding his character means accepting that he is a God of justice and a God of holiness and that he judges sin. But in, in essence, fearing God is to appreciate his character. And I think Psalm 33 beautifully puts it. It reads as follow. For the word of the Lord is right and all his work is trustworthy. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the Lord's unfailing love. The heavens were made by the word of the Lord and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the water of the sea into a heap, but puts the depths into storehouses. Let the whole earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came into being. He commanded and it came into existence. We fear the Lord because he is great and mighty. He is the creator of heaven and earth. The one who administers justice and righteousness. But actually this is a deep reverence in response to acknowledging the majesty and the splendor of God. We look at him and cannot begin to compare ourselves because he's so distinct and set apart. And this is the kind of fear which God wants from us. We are small people in the hands of a very big God. Fear of the Lord is good. Now this verse is poised with a question. Um, and perhaps it's why do we even fear the Lord? And furthermore, Psalm 33 answers, A king is not saved by a large army. A warrior will not be rescued by great strength. The horse is a false hope for safety. It provides no escape by its great power. But look, the Lord keeps his eye on those who fear him, those who depend on his faithful love to rescue them from death and to keep them alive in famine. Now you may see that the, whole, uh, the king is powerless apart from the king. The one who thinks they ha have everything at, this, at their disposal must learn that God, in fact, holds all things. It's not just one's prudency, even though that is important and it has its place. The Lord our God is sovereign over everything. You know, he orders our steps. Have you ever wondered which job to take? Some of you, what clothes to wear? Or who to date? It's often one of those decisions we wrestle with. And many times we wish... We'd ask God and we'd blink once and he'd give us an answer for yes or two for a no. Or that he'd just write it in the sky. But the promise in this verse is that God will show you the way you should choose. You don't have to follow the gurus of this world or endless philosophies that gives you many steps 
and don't deliver. In fact, this is a wisdom thing. How do we acquire wisdom? Now, the, the problems are, are packed with wisdom. And one of the key ones that stand out is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, when we speak about wisdom, we're not talking about knowledge that, that can be learned, but more so having a deep, um, just a deep trust in the Lord, having submitted yourself, you know, through the authoritative teaching of God. Now, God promises to let you in into his secret counsel. Brothers and sisters, the Lord guides us. The Lord guides those who are near to him. In essence, you begin to develop an intuition or a knack on how to make good decision because the Lord is with you and he promises to help you make those wise decisions. Now, this doesn't seem so certain. But as we begin to draw to, to this holy God, we begin to have a holy fear of him and he orders our lives. We begin to, get, to live a good life, as the psalm says. God provides you with all you need. Now, we may have differing, uh, differing views. I feel like I'm saying that word wrong. But you get what I'm trying to say. <laughs> uh, dif different views. Let me say it like that. Different views on what the good life is. For some, it might be sipping margaritas on a cruise ship. Or just earning passive income. And if that's you, shame on you. Jamie did a series on work. And as, and as Kim Kardashian would say, get up and work. Or you could be shooting for a million views on TikTok or a few million followers on Instagram. According to Psalm A, a good life looks like trusting in the Lord. The goodness that God gives is so gracious and so abundant in the sense that it speaks to the next generation. Now, our relationship with God is single-handedly the most important thing in our life. To have been changed deeply by God leaves you with a desire to want other people to come and to taste and to see that God is truly good. It would be so wonderful if as a people we could dream big, we could dream for the kingdom of God and we could dream for our city and our neighborhood, we could dream for our friends and our colleagues. Many things could, could be happening as they are and as they have, especially in Durban. We have just come out of COVID and many people have lost their lives. In fact, I don't think any of us um, don't have a COVID story of just crisis after crisis. The psalmist is giving us an antidote for not being overwhelmed and escaping the worries and the troubles of this life. David has fixed his eyes on Jesus. He has kept his eyes on Jesus. At this time, he was clearly troubled and we see that by the word of um, the word used, um, or the image rather, being caught in a net, like a fish being caught in a net. It's out of his own volition, but he trusts that the Lord will, will rescue him. He has that assurance. Before us, there seems to be many ways we are challenged on what to do, when to do it. But, all, but at some point, these ways will disappoint us if we don't adhere to the Lord primarily. And as we have seen in this passage, the Lord shows us the way we should go because he is the way. The psalmist further told us that God is good and his ways are good. And he shows us the, the way, um, the proper response to have towards God. 
which is to be in fear of him, essentially to be in reverent awe of him. As a fitting response, we should have an, an intimate relationship with God where we get to know his plan and what he's doing. We should keep our eyes always on the Lord. Amen. Yeah. Oh, uh, I'd like to pray for us. <laughs> uh, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you... Um, just for the wonderful opportunity to gather as your bride. We thank you, Lord, for the stories which you are writing in our midst. We thank you for Nyaranzai. We thank you for Eugene. We thank you, Lord, that you are building us and equipping us to be um, the people that you are working through to reconcile other people in, into your kingdom. We pray, Lord God, that you teach us to, to keep to your ways, Lord God, to be mindful of the mundane disciplines of um, following you, of waking up, of reading the word, of praying, of being prayerful, of sharing your word, which has transformed our lives. We thank you for your promise, Lord, that you are good when we are not. We thank you that you've made a way for us to be reconciled to you, Lord. We thank you that um, we don't bring anything, but that you've provided everything. We pray, Lord God, that as we go out, that you'd fill our hearts with love, with joy, with peace, and that you would keep us desiring you, Lord God. We pray all of this in your wonderful name. Amen.